Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Ronnie Wen from Mantica. I'm Steve Hildry. I'm Ralph Enough. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. We are back, and we have a very special guest, Mr. Ronnie Renton. How are you doing, Ronnie? Very well, sir. Very well. You've been patiently waiting for me while I was doing my queuing and shopping and in these crazy, crazy, strange times. So how are things going in your area with this whole madness? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, on the whole, the area we're in is, is not too badly hit. Um, we're all northerners, and we're all poor up here, so no one actually can... Um, there's not too much going out and socialising or any of that nonsense. not in the middle of um, February anyway, in March. So it seems that, you know, people kind of go to work, come home, stay in, watch the telly, which I think probably just meant that we were a little bit behind places like London, places like New York, where people are far more living on top of each other. So um, Birmingham has been hit, which is a kind of neighbouring city about 70, 50, 70 miles away. But... Nottingham and Nottinghamshire itself, you know, touch wood is not too bad, which means we, um, you know, nobody in the company has has come down with it. You know, we've not, we're not in the stage where we all know somebody that's got it. Um, everybody's being very sensible up here. Everyone's being very responsible. Um, the hospitals are not at capacity. So, touch wood, it's it's a strange time. It's it's a, it's a weird time, but you know, we're able to look after everyone at Mantic and. Generally, in our area, it seems to be okay. And I hope I'm not jinxing anything there or, or you know, commentators curse. But um, everybody seems to be behaving well and, and just kind of getting on with it and, and trundling on as best they're able. You know, Ronnie, it is really like a very strange time, you know, and we've been trying to do a lot of episodes trying to pull out like positives or, or, or sort of ways that we can look at what's going on through um, a positive lens. Have you seen anything either like in, in your home life or in the gaming world that's been maybe like a positive thing that sort of crept up to the surface during this crazy time? I think while people still healthy, I've seen some amazingly wonderful things going on. I mean, I've got a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 12-year-old um, who are now on Easter holidays or on the spring break, as you call it, I think. And and we're getting to spend some time together. And, you know, I, I, I bought a jigsaw and put that out. And before I know it, they're just walking past and doing a few pieces. And while they've spent plenty of time on their Xbox, after a week of that, it starts becoming just not that interesting. I had a game of Walking Dead with my youngest son who's a, who's a bit more geek uh, than the middle one you know 15 16 he's now too cool for school and then i come down the stairs and he sat there in front of the gaming table in front of the painting table just sat there painting his toy soldiers you know just just picking up some ones he hadn't touched for five years so i think getting some family time is wonderful and you've got to try and and just enjoy it you know as an adult whose children are going to be leaving the home fairly soon i'm just trying to enjoy it and not be too too stressed that I'm not doing exactly what I want to do. Just let them be them and listen to them. So I'm doing that. And then I think, you know, I view Mantic and I think all companies at this time are about keeping people entertained. You know, I think what we've been doing, putting up free solo rules, 
so that people can that are, that are self-isolated can have a go. We've had a big sale on our starter games, co-op games, kind of half price. So that because I think, you know, the first weekend you do a bit of cooking and you do some DIY and you watch some TV you've been meaning to do, and then that's the week ahead and and then you do want to have some different flavors of entertainment and i think you know our role magic's role is is to entertain people and, and act as the conductor showing pictures off and people painting armies and and inspiring each other and talking to each other and actually on on social media in our communities they've just been fantastic people just getting on with it and you know finally attacking some of that lead under the bed plastic mountain you know uh, and 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 I've you know rebased an army because I'm going to do a huge big Kings of War battle that I've been meaning to do for five years. So I think there was as long as you can stay positive, and I think that's you know that's tough on people that, that struggle with that. If you can stay positive, you you know, and you're you're safe and you're well. It's a it's a rare time that will never happen, and, and try and use it. And and if you're struggling, ask for help because I think there's enormous amounts of help out there. So that's a goodwill. So you know, I think if you can stay positive. It, 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 we can get through it as best we're able, but I think that's easier to say for for some than others, you know. Said a lot there. Let's unpack some of it. Let's uh, touch on the family stuff, though, because you know that's a discussion we've been having lately: is how to get kids into games. Um, and you've been fairly successful in this. Is it just because they're bored? Are, is there something you're doing to encourage and motivate them to? Hey, why don't we try Walking Dead? Why don't we try this? And more importantly, getting them to hobby. Well, exactly, and and I think that. The key I've learned is that you know, my wife wants to tidy everything up, of course. She likes it nice and neat. And so she's like a, you know, a whirling dervish at the moment, you know, getting everything super tidy. And I'm kind of going behind her, laying things out again that, uh, that keep them entertained. As you know, with teenage kids, if you push them too hard, they just rebel. It's just not interested. So my younger one at 12 will, hey, do you want to play this? Yeah, sure, Dad. And then he'll go and do something else and just bounces from thing to thing. But my teenage boy is a little more... Difficult, but so I just leave it out. I just kind of leave the jigsaw out and I let the other. I wanted to play a few board games, like proper Ticket to Ride style board games. And, um, you know, I said, well, let's let's have game night. And, you know, you can't get any more than every three or four nights, much as you'd like to. But, you know, we I, I bought a roulette set over Christmas and they quite like that. I gave them all 100 chips and I said, whoever gets the most at the end, you know, gets $20 or 20 quid. And, Second place gets a tenner and third place gets a fiver and mum's in there as a wild card. So just get them gambling. Bribery is definitely the way to get your kids into gaming. Is that what you're, you're saying? Definitely bribe yeah, them. Basically, introduce them to all the major vices. I think we'll probably move to hard drugs by the end of lockdown. And uh, yeah, you know, what, what could possibly go wrong? Well, you could also teach them about financial institutions when they go to cash in their chips and then you're like, well, the bank's broke. Yeah, exactly. The, the bank is always broke. So that's, uh, that's a different matter. So yeah, I think leaving them out, gently nudging, you know, do a little bit. And, and you know, because we're all geeks, we enjoy the setting up and the reading the rules. So you can, you know, if you're prepared to play Dungeon Master and not compete too hard, you know, as long as they're having fun, they'll do it again. So, Ronnie, you, obviously you've been in part of the gaming industry for a very long time. Do you think, you know, having that kind of ephemera kind of lying around the house has really helped kind of sink it into their subconscious in a way? Because I've got, I've got a 13-year-old and he is... He's only really interested in video games. He'll come and play board games with this, and I have managed to get him to play a couple of games of Kings of War, but it it is a little bit like like pulling teeth. So like you say, I, I don't push it, I don't force it, but do you think having the stuff just kind of lying around has kind of seeped into your children's consciousness and helped with that kind of journey? Yeah, and also because I've, because I've worked in it for a long time, you when we design games, we design them for different customer groups. <laughs> and so I would apply the same kind of logic to the games I'm going to pedal to them. 
one of the reasons why we discounted Walking Dead. And this this does involve bad parenting skills because I'm I'm not a censor of the children's viewing and re- particularly reading habits. I let them read anything. Um, so you know, one of the reasons we got the Walking Dead was my middle son, you know, who was at the time about ten or eleven, read rarely, but got his hands on the Walking Dead comics. We had the two compendiums, and he ploughed through them because they're really well read, written. You know, they're a fantastic story. And then I read them, and that, you know, that's gone where the, the whole Walking Dead started from. But um, my younger son's read the comics as well. He's read them all now. So as long as you're prepared to give them, you know, utterly, wholly inappropriate background material to build up their knowledge. And a game like Walking Dead is an awful lot more approachable and accessible than a game like Kings of War. And, and obviously we're on countercharge, so it's not, uh, <laughs> you know, I should be saying no games are play Kings of War, or Vanguard would be a good way because it's that low count. It's that kind of, I'm this person, he's doing that, he's shooting at that. There's no abstraction. And at that age, get them to paint five figures and 25 quid, you know, pick a pick a faction up, you know, we've got a discount, we've got low shipping. We bought The Walking Dead about half price because I thought partners will play that. They've seen the TV series together. They know what Michonne, she runs up and chops your head off with a sword. You know, she, they know who Rick is. So they already have the background. Whereas, what's a goblin army? What's a goblin mincer? What's a spitter? What's a, you know, fleabag rider? There's so much, um, you know, knowledge that we have that we don't even know we have. That means that we're so far along from the gaming experience. So, you know, I, I, here's Negan. Here's a, here's a crossover board game. You know, 30 quid, I think it's if you're still up for half price, you get a Negan faction. So there you've also got your Negan faction, which is the one they'll want to play in Call to Arms because Negan's got a great big baseball bat and he's an anti-hero. And, and that's the next step from the board game on. So you've played a few board games with them. Well, hey, let's do this. And the first one, you know, they win a little and they just, why, why are you making that decision? Let's help you with this. And at 13, 14, it's baby steps. And, uh, you know, the Walking Dead, spray them, dip them, play them. It's working because I picked it up. 50% off? I mean, you'd be stupid not to pick it up, right? And I have, I really have no interest in Walking Dead, but when it's 50% off, I'm like, yeah, we'll give it a shot. Turns out it's a super fun game. It's super simple. And, uh, well, I to be fair, I'm not in all the expansions, right? I'm still using the base game. But... It's been fun. It's been fun. And my 10-year-old's been cackling like a crazy person as she's, you know, ripping zombies apart. Correct. And there it is. And from there, you know, this is not going to change. The 200 people that are up, up, you know, up in New York State back in January in the Masters or or out in, you know, Churchwood will be out in Cardiff at the end of the year that are having a weekend with their buddies, chugging some beers, rolling some dice and playing six games of Kings of War. That's man time. That's our adult hobby but as parents or as partners dialing it back and finding the crossover game such as the walking dead with your 10 year old is a wonderful way of of them seeing what you do you enjoying spending time with them even if even if they you know i just enjoy spending time with them you know that's what i want to do and it's something i I can do i can't play golf i'm not terribly good at these other things so if you if you you know i'm glad it worked because you've taken it here you are you're having a good time she's killing zombies you're having fun you're rolling some dice it's not Kings of War, that's fine, I'll come. If he, if he wants to do that, he'll do that. But if he doesn't, hey, it's as good fun as kicking a ball in the back garden too. He'll do that and throwing a, well, we kick a ball, you throw the ball, you know. But the, the more the barrier, the more they get exposed to, the more they'll pick their own hobbies. And as long as my kids have hobbies and entertainments that they enjoy doing, I'm happy. I'm, I'm cool with that. 
Um, obviously, like it'd be a little bit of gaming in there, but um, yeah, think about think about the games that they're going to play, and um, probably you know in order are here's Negan Dungeon Saga, Star Saga, are the most straightforward. Next step, Walking Dead, Vanguard. With the basic rules, Vanguard goes quite deep, but you'll have the models, so they're all there. You can make nice terrain, so it look very pretty. And then, and then probably Dead Zone is the is the last of the skirmish games. Very nice hobby time for you, but probably a little while between getting the box set and being able to play it with them. And then you're into your Kings of War, your War Paths. You know, your more advanced Walking Dead games, your more advanced Dead Zone, and and they, you know, they all they all have their own deep hobby angle. My big hope for um, a big family game is League of Infamy. And I've, I've purposefully gone all in on the Kickstarter for that because I can see this being a brilliant family game, particularly yeah. for my family, because I've got you know, 13 year old, 18 year old kids. And with myself and my wife, I think this is going to be a brilliant, fun evening for us. I hope, fingers crossed, anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly what he's aimed at. You can absolutely see it when I was talking about all those other things. It's the, it's the slightly naughty version of Dungeon Saga. And because we're all expert game players, I say now, but there's GMs, we know what we're doing, we know how to move, shoot, fight, cast spells, open treasure chests. We go, well, what's the next meta? And actually, I think the fun of, of League of Infamy is absolutely that all those cards are getting you and asking you every single time to not do what your good instincts to do are. And it's quite, quite, quite a challenge, but I think a lot of fun because quite quickly yeah they're just brutal and it's like right here you go well heal me yeah no i'm not gonna do that <laughs> and now you you know i think you, you bring up an interesting point in that you know uh i've been playing in lockdown I've, I've been playing a lot of board games with my girlfriend and you know speaking of uh where you just mentioned we played ticket to ride last night but we've been playing a lot of uh that terraforming mars lords of Waterdeep. And it's interesting on how um, we're living in this time, this like of, of just a, a landscape of so many fun, robust games. And in, in, in a lot of ways, through those board games and strategy games, she's now started to paint miniatures and kind of look at gaming on you know in a deeper level. So you know, speak a little bit to that. It really is kind of like an awesome time for for board gaming, just for all games uh, and getting people into that hobby on a deeper level. Well, I mean, I think, and I'm sure, I'm not sure you guys aren't quite as old as me, but, I mean, if, I, if people knew what I did when I was young, it was fight time. You know, I, I was a geek. Uh, you know, you get dragged around the back and, um, you know, it was not something you spoke about in public. Um, so, and what we're seeing across the world over the last, say, 10 years, and I think it probably came on the back of computer games. So when I was a kid, computer games were geek. We played Elite, and you had to sit there in the computer room in the school, and you had cassette tapes, and you had to press play and record at the same time, and you go and press play Elite, and you know you were all of those stereotypes about you know, guys in their bedrooms, and and toy soldiers and role playing games were all in the same camp, and probably I think two things started to change it. Imagine the gathering, so card games, which were only one step different than uh, bubblegum, you know, uh, panini stickers and tops, you know, sports stickers. So suddenly there was a lot of kids that would play that, but hadn't connected that then there was there was further on from that. And um, and computer games, it was becoming more and more common for boys to sit in their room and not just kick a f- or kick or throw a football around. They could they could go and shoot zombies online. And I think you know the Xbox is putting it everyone's 
that started opening up these interesting IPs. And when we were hobbying, you know, it was for the IP, it was for the imagination, it was for the reading, it was for the game playing, it was for the hobby aspects. It, I don't know for you, but for me, it touched a lot of a lot of um, drivers. You know, it had to do them all. I didn't just like board games because I don't just like playing. In fact, that's probably one of my lesser hobby drivers than than the collecting and painting and, and building pretty scenery and stuff. So, so that's part of it. But so I think there was that whole genre where these things just changed over time and morphed and moved and because the cool computer games are the ones with the best imagination with the coolest graphics with zombies or lara croft or you know, resident evil all of a sudden this geek becomes and the movies come along and suddenly they've got enough money to actually make decent movies you know until until the mid 90s you know there was there was half a dozen good sci-fi or fantasy movies well, yeah, in fact, until Lord of the Rings, I'm not sure there was any good fantasy movies that you dare put it out in front of your friends and say, hey, watch this, it's brilliant. Well, there's a few we'd watch ourselves, Excalibur and Lady Hawk, um, but you wouldn't dare tell your mates about them because you get ridiculed, you know, of a normal persuasion. So, and then I think the board game started getting more friendly, you know, oh, kids, let's play Monopoly. I'm like, we have a family row, it's four hours, it's horrible. Someone wins, everyone else is angry. We played... Ticket to Ride, which I would say, you know, one step on from Monopoly, but a much more subtle, clever, innovative, well-developed gaming system. Gaming system because we've had a long time to develop it and write it and have knocked off all the rough edges that surround Monopoly. And within turn two, they'd all got it. And suddenly they're sat there working out their tactics. And, uh, and you know, they did quite well, although they did all lose to me. <laughs> so, you know, you could let them, let them learn, but don't let them. And my daughter very did very well, but um, I just got tons and tons. I never played it myself, but you could see what the game was. Just get loads of those uh, destination cards and fill them out. Well, you've touched on a lot of stuff about hobby. Let's talk specifically about what you've been working on because we've seen videos, we've seen posts. Yeah. And I, I'm going to ask a stupid question, but are you working on anything other than dwarves? <laughs> Let me just check. Uh, so, do abyssal dwarves count as dwarves? I mean, they do, but they're the naughty dwarves, right? Right. So, so if you're being broad. Um, and we've just we've just launched the Abyssal Dwarfs for Kings of War and for Vanguard, and they are utterly lovely. The plastics are the best we've ever done by a country mile. Dave, Matt, Luigi have outdone themselves. They're just superb. So I wanted to glue some together. I haven't even glued. I glued, you know, when we get the first test shot, I glue one or two together and have a look at the sprue. But um, I, I sat there and glued us. I'm getting to an age in my life where I actually like gluing them together. I don't mind basing them. I reluctantly undercoat them, and that's usually about as far as things get because the uh, the clipping and, and, and sticking together. For some reason, I used to hate that, and now I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, I've then rebased. I, I had someone paint me an Abyssal Dwarf army a few years ago, and then we retired a few bits out of the studio army. So I have rebased those and painted all the bases into the same color, all onto unit army standards. I've been shown out from Facebook. I've just brought the old dwarf army home from work and I'm going to rebase that using the same color schemes. And then I'm doing all of the, aha, something that's not dwarfs. I'm doing all the secret weapon tiles that we have um, so we can play a huge 10 or 12 by 6 Kings of War battle once this is over using my dwarf army, the studio and Rob's dwarfs armies versus Rob's goblins, my abyssal dwarf army and... I think Martin's painted Abyssal Dwarf Army. 
And Steve, if you want to come down, you're more than welcome to come down and video and film and have a beer with us when we're going to do that once all this is over. Um, so if you want to pop on down, we'll open the barbecue up or, or you know, get pieces delivered in if it's December when this is all over. But huge big Kings of War battle. And I'm using something like that. I've been wanting to do it. I like big battles. I like a day of beer and gaming for fun rather than a perfectly balanced 2,000 point battle. I like the narrative. And certainly, you know, once every now and then. But I want it to look great. I want the armies to be nice. I don't want, I want themes. You know, it's got to, there's got to be a story. We'll write it as part of the summer campaign, maybe. Uh, certainly it'll go down in more as a big battle. So, you know, in the summer book. Um, and then I'm doing all the buildings for that and everything else. I'm all over that. I'll come down and I'll do a full battle report and with lots of incisive commentary on the amazing tactics. That, well, hang on a second, Rob's playing. Just the tactics, no, you know. But yeah, we'll get also, you can get taken to task for you know, two points above average. On that <laughs> <one>. <laughs> oh, deep cuts there. Oh, I, I can't count higher than 10, Ronnie. That's my problem. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. In terms of the secret weapons tablescapes that you're, you're doing, which uh, design are you running? Do you have the, is that the rolling fields that you're working on? Yeah, rolling fields. So we've had them for years. We distributed them for him when he did his Kickstarter. We we took some in and... and uh, I can't remember if we fulfilled his Kickstarter or not. We may have fulfilled his Kickstarter for him. But if not, we distributed them in the UK a few years back. Real shame. It kind of never really caught on here in the United States. And I, and I wonder if it's because of the... That was about the same time the neoprene mats yeah. were going big. And I wonder if that just sort of like, hey, yeah, you can spend a couple hundred bucks and get a really nice landscape table. Or you can spend, you know, 60 bucks and get like a very pretty mat. And if you get them on sale, you get two or three pretty ones. I think the other thing is just the convenience. I think the, the problem is, you know, we've got them because we distributed them and I picked them up. So I got the... I got some for Dead Zone which actually have the grids on them. So I've, sp- I've got a lovely dead zone. I say lovely. I think it's lovely, but I had a real good hobby blast a few years ago, building a, a full dead zone gaming table with uh, on the tiles with it. And it's so integrated. It's so lovely. But the game is just as good on the mats. <laughs> you know, you put the mat and away you go. And I think if you've got a, you know, two or three people coming over, you can throw out two mats and stick a few buildings on it, a few trees on it, and you're gaming. I think he was just, it, 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 it's, it, you know, if you think about where he comes from, you know, Justin is very much from the aesthetic end, you know, who's mm-hmm. raising bases, paints. Um, so like me, he's been atheist as opposed to a gamer. And I think a gamer wants to get him down, get playing, get packed up. Actually, that's another game. Whereas I'll spend three hours setting it up and then reluctantly, you know, get my ass kicked by my son when he, when he takes me apart because I've not read the rules. Each to their own. So, yeah, I think they were nice, but I think they just weren't quite as practical. Um, and so I think if you love the, the visuals, then, then, then they're worth picking up. And then, you know, there's not many other options out there that do it with more flexibility. So I have a light, you know, they've got some of the town city ones for Walking Dead. And so the, the game of Walking Dead we just played was on the green rolling fields because I just painted them all up. But I've got the same for Walking Dead and you put your cars on it. And, you know, for me, the visuals is... Is oh, when I'm, I'll do it, and it's, it's good fun. But uh, yeah, those neoprene mats very convenient. The secret weapon one though are pretty nice that they are the one by one square, as opposed to the Games Workshop or the Games and Gears boards, which are like these giant two by two. So you and, and to your point, he's got a lot of different designs, and so hopefully we'll see it because it really Kings of War. It's not really great because you're trying to move around some of that preformed terrain is a little difficult. But a game like Vanguard or Dead Zone. 
Walking Dead, where you have skirmish, you know, individually based models, uh, would be perfectly fine on those on those kind of tables, and they look great. That's what we play on, and it looks beautiful. It's actually beautiful. It is a next step, but you always have that trade off between prettiness and uh, and practicalities, and you know, to the to the extent that the extreme gamer is quite happy to play on a neoprene mat with neoprene trees, <laughs> flat on on with neoprene buildings because it may, it, it abstracts and removes all of the English, but I think for us, the hobby is, is part of that, finding the middle ground or, you know, the right combination. And so, you know, the, the rolling hills are the things. So when we play it, you know, we'll have so much terrain on it and so much soldiers on it. We'll just agree beforehand and I'm building it to say, right, those are buildings and you know, they're passable whenever they are. So, Ronnie, um, health questions here, because some of us have been a little bit concerned, you know, about about your mental health. What What's 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 Going on with the hair there because we had we had some luscious locks and then the, a moustache appeared and now you're practically bald. You're like, was it an all over job? What, what's going on there with the? Uh, have you just got a pair of clippers and got a bit got a bit OTT? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just I'm just a flexible kind of guy. Yeah, you know, I just my hair reflects <laughs> you know, the inner me. It's just uh, it's like a rolling feast of. Um, I decided that I was actually just going to let the top grow. So I, you know, a bit of a barber friend. Who give me short, give me short back and sides? We're gonna let it go on the top, and see if I can get it over, you know. Um, and then I can obviously get it recolored, so it's no longer this kind of strange white color that it's got. I don't know anything about that, but uh, and then it was just long enough so I could bring Law Farquhar, to, you know, to whatever he was out for the um, thing. Is and I thought, right, he needs a mustache. You know, we're gonna do a nineteen, you know, Fallout style video needs a moustache but while I, whenever I have a normal big beard I, I like to shave it in pieces and get down to uh, the goatee beard lasts literally six minutes because my wife I walk downstairs my wife says what is that get upstairs get it shaved off you know or you're out of the house and now even my children take the same approach so I had the moustache for for fully 20 hours while we just did the filming and then I looked thought about how long this lockdown was going to be you know, getting dressed was getting challenging and more challenging. You've seen me many times in my pyjamas at 6pm doing my videos. And that's uh, that's not because I got ready for bed early. And I thought, okay, this needs, this needs to come off. So my daughter enjoyed herself shaving my head off. No, shaving my hair off my head. So, yeah, definitely not my mental state. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, it's very much a walking dead look, I feel. It's going to be uh, either long, hairy beard or it's all off and you've got that kind of grizzled, yeah. I'm out there. Because you think if you need that, if you're going to Asda in lockdown, you probably need to keep yourself as kind of shorn and walking dead yeah. style as you can. And possibly take a shotgun. That might help also. Fully loaded, locked and loaded. When I said it was two hours this morning, it was 50 minutes, just walked in, you know. You've seen that video where it's okay. Yeah, so no, it's um, easy to maintain. And unfortunately, it'll grow back. You'll say that with some degree of certainty. There's enough thatch on there. First time I cut my hair off, I <laughs> it started receding immediately. I'm like, oh, wow, that's the last time I'm going to do that. Although uh, if Carl Krasinski has his way, he's going to get me bald. So we'll see. Right, yes, okay. You've got, it. You've got that on, haven't you? That was going to be happening. Was that Adepticon? That was Adepticon, got... unfortunately. Yeah. It's postponed for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Ronnie, with all this social distancing, all the extra cleaning and all just sort of the craziness, I know you sent out an email just uh, yesterday, just kind of given the the lowdown on Mantic HQ and what you guys are up to. But why don't you give us a little bit on how Mantic has been managing through all this madness that's going on? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, quite early on, I did I did that travel early on. I came, you know, went to the, saw the old masters and saw what's happening over there. And I came up to you guys. 
And I went down after the U.S. Masters on the Saturday. I drove that afternoon. So I was there Friday, Friday, Saturday, down to New York. And the um, New York Toy Fair was on. And I had a few meetings there on Sunday. And we had had some disruption um, from China when the first of the coronavirus stuff was happening because all of a sudden China didn't come back from Chinese New Year. And so Terrain Crate 2, which was halfway through being manufactured, um, as Chinese New Year approaches, they look at the projects they can finish and those that they are going to be able to finish and they prioritise those that have to be finished or have a deadline. So they kind of put all the resources onto finishing everything they can and they go on boats. And because we were all right for time just about, we said, fine, you know, well, isn't that priority? Just when you come back, it can be the first project back. It's half done. They'll finish it. We got on about two weeks later. Um, so, you know, no problem. They go and then they come, then they don't come back. And so originally the finishing date for, for Terrain Crate 2 was the end of Feb. So then it goes on a boat, arrives here in April and off we go. And we were very aware very quickly. I said, this is not going to happen. You know, they were not talking to us. We're not going to hit the 28th of Feb. So, and when I was at the New York Toy Fair, there was quite a lot of discussion about the disruption that the world hadn't seen was coming because obviously we live kind of three months in advance. If it's not on a boat three months in advance, it's not going to be on the shelves three months later. It's as simple as that. Um, because, you know, you can't fly box games. You can bring a few to a show, but you can't, you can't have a release that's not gone on the water. So I was kind of aware of it and then saw what was happening and realised, you know, they'd closed the Chinese pavilion at the New York Toy Fair and then it started to spread. And so I, I sat down with Matt and we just, I just said, look, you know, well, we chatted and we said, look, we're just a little bit concerned. I said, well, look, let's get a, get a plan built for all, everyone can work remotely so that we can flick that on if we need to. We're pretty good on it. We're mostly in the cloud. Matt sat down and spent the whole a week getting an infrastructure built and making sure everyone could do it. And then when we chatted, we said, well, look, why don't we just have half in, half out every day? Because effectively, we're halving the odds. This is probably early mid-March by now. Um, you know, they don't need to be in, and it seems to be coming. So let's just go half and half, which is where we were. So about five to six days before, or in the week to before lockdown, we were already half working from home, half working in, and they swap each day. So I said, I don't want to go into isolation too early, and we don't know whether it's going to actually happen or not, but we're starting to see the real bad stories from... Uh, Italy by now, Spain was starting. So actually, by the time that you know it was even getting more serious, I had to look. Why, why are we messing around? Let's just let's just get everybody that can get out of here, out of here. Which means we only have the essential workers in, and then um, we were just because then we have all this extra space because there's no one in the offices. Everybody that was still working could spread out. So we were, you know, just very conscious of. Of what was going on, and then you know they kind of we had that crazy week in the UK. I think where it was just different rules and legislations every day coming out. We were trying to keep up with them with the schools as well, you know, on a personal level as well as the professional level. But we had very good processes and systems in place from early on. You know, safety being paramount, and um, and and so I think then it just kind of you know rolled through what we were doing. So we were able to to stay up. We knew we had very good safety measures in place uh, and then you know 
I think the night that the furlough was called, it was very difficult. I couldn't sleep. You know, they were very unclear. Necessary journeys were, you know, does that mean those that have to go into work work or those that, you know, that they don't want any work at all, it's only key workers. So they've been very vague. But in the end, about three o'clock in the morning, I managed to find the, the actual government paper that explained. And it was that they wanted they, they wanted shops to be closed, specifically shops, uh, bars, restaurants, hospitality, anywhere people congregated, and then measures in the food. But they actually said in it, and then, you know, it, it was relief was completely clear, online stores should remain open. Indeed, we encourage it. And they wanted people to, to still be able to do a bit of shopping because it goes into a system, and, it's, and as long as there was safety in the delivery mechanism, they wanted that. So that meant we could really double down on the same. We got masks, get gloves, spread everybody out, make sure it was a long time away, and get on. And, and then it kind of defined our role, which I talked about earlier, entertaining people. Let's give free rules away. Let's, let's get half price on the walking dead. You know, I think mental health and people coming through this in a good shape is going to be just as important to stay healthy. You know, we know 95% of the people that catch it are going to be healthy. And obviously we're protecting the 5%. But at the same time, people being stuck in their own house for 12 weeks uh, with very little access to go out need to have things other than the TV and, um, and their computer to, to amuse them. Cells. So it kind of defined our role, and, and then that's what we've been concentrating on doing. It's like trying to balance, right, the logistical question of obviously you're running a business, right, and can we do this? Is it possible for us to work in this sort of new environment? Environment, but then, like you said, a lot of um, uh, one of the best things that you know we love about miniature wargaming, gaming in general, is that the building that community, you know, uh, uh, inspiring that community, and in some ways, it's almost like during this time, this is when people need games yeah. and need stuff to do so it's almost like uh, both you're trying to run a business but also like a social contract of uh, of you're providing a re- an essential service really well that's what i'm saying that's why I, that's why it does take oh that's why the business wasn't the business angle wasn't that important to us um you know we'll just have a team on the, the stuff uh, we've got the online store you know rob's able to support it and so i mean to put it in context you know we normally have Four people like Kyle plus three in the UK, uh, uh, Joe Kneed and a pod are basically looking after all of our independent stockists. And, you know, those guys have, have used this furlough scheme because that has just absolutely come to a standstill. And we've got a few online retailers. So in terms of what it's doing to the business, you know, it's, it, it's changed it entirely. And what's, what's being sold online is not in any way making up for what we'd normally do. Because obviously, you know, we, we might do a Hellboy game and that goes out to board game shops all around the world. You know, and you know, when we have a Kings of War release or the new terrain crate stuff, that's all going out to stores all across America. And people that have never heard of Mantic would think, oh, look at this cool, you know, terrain for my Cthulhu RPG. I'm going to pick some of that up off my D&D game. So, yes, I think by focusing far more on how we could help um, the web store is great and that helps pay our bills. You know, we've got the, the, the landlord phone us up last week and said we were the only person that had paid him uh, of, all of, the, of all the properties he, let, he lent out. Because the other companies are concerned about cash. That, that money that comes to our website is enormously helpful in just keeping the lights on, the bills being paid, but it's very much not business as normal. It's very much making sure that we're there to just support and help and, and give back to the community. And, and our yeah, community is a 
Because one thing I, I, I've noticed is uh, it, it, over here in the U.S., a lot of game stores are doing curbside pickup or, you know, letting one or two people in at a time to shop. But the issue is, you know, with Alliance and other big companies and distributors that they're now worried that the, the products are just going to stop coming in. So I know that I, I, I know Rob's local game store has been getting a lot of stuff in from you guys. So I know that not only is it the dynamics of the uh, not being able to go into the shop, but like you mentioned, the the supply chains getting affected come you know a month or two when stock shelves start getting empty could 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 be an issue. So I think it's really been great that you guys have still been um, uh, keeping the shop open. Uh, yeah, and there does come a point that stuff starts to run out. You know, China is back open for business. But if we can't forecast a whole print run or, or, or something else, you know, we have the buffers we have. Certain lines, you know, we can come back in. But other lines, we need our full trade channels to be open to be able to do a print run. So, you know, that, that's certainly a possibility and we've got to watch for it. But the hope currently is that we'll be able to just keep keep going along. And, and, and you know, we do have them because the way we brought in the Walking Dead, I know that's something we've got to... A kind of a deeper stock of, so I'm more than happy to be saying, look, you know, I think it's both it's, for the reason I explained earlier. I think it's a great um, system to play. You know, it's, it's very approachable, it's very easy to get into. So for all those reasons, I think it's appropriate. But at the same time, it's something we know we have a, a, an amount of stock in there, so that people can pick it up and it's not going to run out anytime soon. And a lot of sympathy for some of these huge companies with such complicated supply chains. Um, you know, it's very, very difficult to forecast well, what we're going to do. Half, quarter, 20%. <laughs> so do you see any, like, uh, long-term changes after this, Ronnie? Like, the, the state of the gaming industry? Do you, for you, for Mantic maybe specifically, do you guys see any long-term changes that come out of this uh, COVID event? Uh, yeah, I don't know at the moment. I mean, I think realistically there's some stores that will close their doors and might not open them up back up again. I think that's... But when it's 2%, 5%, 10%, or 50%, I have no idea. But, you know, they have their, their running costs. You know, they're, they're often quite, you know, this week's takings pays next month's bills, uh, businesses. Some aren't, some aren't. But, you know, and the governments are being hugely supportive. But being truthful, we I haven't even had the time to think about that, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's been so busy just keeping the ship upright and going in the right direction um i think i think what what does the future look like well i think we're gonna to have to try to think about that when we're we can perhaps see that there's some light at the end of the tunnel at the moment it's just keep people amused keep having fun um keep making sure everyone's okay uh, and, and make sure that you know what people want to buy on the website we've, we've got some of let's just keep getting it made and getting it out the door so it's very much an all hands on deck situation. The comic industry, I know you're a comic book fan from back in the day. Yeah. That industry is is in dire straits with distributors like Diamond yeah. basically have limited stock, um, aren't paying their bills. You know, I, I hate to say this, but I'm I'm much more confident in the gaming industry's ability to bounce back. No one buys last yesterday's newspaper and the whole comic industry is you know, the it's very labor intensive. You've got the writer, the artist, the letterer. You're printing it, and you know you're printing it every week. And people go in and and pick their comics up. And once that stops, how do you get it started again? You know, what do you do about the four months that've been closed? Do you do four issues all at once? 
will people buy for? You know, uh, it's difficult for us. Fortunately, our games don't, you know, we're not selling potatoes. They don't have a date on it. So what we what we did, uh, which was probably last week or the week before, Matt and I sat down and we said, okay, well, how do we, you know, how do we come out of it? And so we gave just some thought about how do we start back up? What are the new releases look like? And some of that kind of thing. And so we've got a plan about how we're going to you know, re-engage and get our new releases going. Well, we no longer talk about April, May or June because <laughs> we have our April, May releases, but not, we're, not, we're not talking about them that way anymore because they're not, um, they're not in April. <laughs> so we've had to kind of rebuild the whole release schedule. That's slightly easier for us because we'll just kind of shove it and push it back and well I'll tell you we'll do those two together what does the comic industry do it's built upon you know comic Wednesdays and uh, you know it's a, it's a fast moving consumer good isn't it so dragging it back to uh, to Kings of War obviously uh, things like the tournament scene are going to be really heavily affected by this kind of like downtime for this year but you went over to US Masters right did, did you have a good time there tell us a little bit about your experience at Masters yes. Well, I managed to just get in and got out without catching the flu because I think everybody else came down with a terrible case of lurgy. I know Kyle was very poorly after it. So, but wonderful, just wonderful scene. I think the thing that I loved most was that they have this elite 64-player multi-region tournament. I think it's eight from each region, isn't it? Um, and and I'd been to that previously. Um, and the previous year I'd wept for the lack of Mantic armies that were there. But, you know, you understand, it's a super competitive, it's a super elite event, and each region's trying to win. So all manner of dirtiness that could possibly go on was going on. But there was a good chitter-chatter. And I very much view, you know, as saying that the US has two majors in the golfing parlance. You know, um, there's the British, the British Clash of Kings, and the US Masters. I think it is one of those elite events, along with the US, the Oz uh, Masters as well, Oz Clash of Kings. So we're going to build up these majors that are going on around the world. That's one of them. What they added to it was the best of the rest. Um, but it was another 48, another 64, something like that. Come along, hang around with your buddies and play. You're not playing in that tournament, but you're playing in this tournament and you get ranking points and so on and so forth. And so I think by far the biggest event in the calendar, 110, uh, just a superb event. But it was welcoming. And I think it had gone from that 64 of just the best of the best and guys that wanted to be there but couldn't be because they hadn't quite qualified, couldn't play that weekend. Well, now they could. They had a great venue, really well organised by the team over there that was just really well. The prizes were superb they built all of these 3d parts from the uh, from the magic items list which was brilliant um very nice gameplay increasingly large number of mantic armies uh beautiful looking ones too so it was just a superb event and uh, you know really great to see because it's interesting, isn't it? We kind of think the Clash of Kings is where the you guys kind of put on a prize for having the best Mantic army. Where Masters, there is no prize for having the best Mantic army. There's no kind of trip anywhere. But were you still pleased to see kind of an increased number? What's your kind of guesstimate about uh, the the increase? Yeah, well, it wasn't a guesstimate. We counted them. I mean, if we went around and you know gave points and allocated points, we you know, and then got a hammer and smashed anything that wasn't Mantic. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, about a third were all Mantic armies, and another third had their key components Mantic. So you know, a dwarf army would have Brock Riders, 
golems and stuff like that. There's a few types of armies that I begrudgingly have to like, where someone's gone and rummaged through their 25-year-old collection and, and built something that's just very pretty and very clever. There's a few of those. Um, and, and then the ones that are, are the target of my eye are the ones that I, I, I work over hard and, and heap sarcasm on. Is, this, is the people have had a Warhammer army, I just can't quite be asked to get around and painting a new one. And, you know, you've seen the same army seven years running and you're like, come on, <laughs> come on. So uh, they're the ones that are targeted. But yeah, there's some great modelling stuff. And I think people are often taking the multi-basing opportunity. So I think with second edition, a lot of people got their Warhammer army, stuck it down on movement trays, done. Now they're coming to it and saying, right, I want to build a dwarf army. And for the first time, we've got some plastic evil dwarfs and I'm going to do the bases. And you just see these breathtaking dioramas and themed armies. And then... Because our age is getting more and more complete uh, and better and better and better, you're seeing more and more of those armies. There's lots of Trident Realms armies there. There's some wonderful uh, Northern Alliance armies there. So, you know, it's entirely heading in the right direction and, and, it, and it is a journey. You know, you, it's hard work building and painting an army. And I think at these elite events, you've got to have played that army 10 times too. Because if you don't, you'll make mistakes. And at that level, you won't win the tournament. So, you know, when we're asking people in Clash of Kings and Depticon to come with the Mantic Army, they're not only going to have painted it, they've got to have played with it so that they've got a chance of winning. And I think, you know, last year at US Adepticon, there was of the top six, five were Mantic Armies. Um, but the guy that won, you know, sneaked in under the wire, old Dark Elf Army. He knew it, he knew exactly how to use it. And, um, you know... Uh, so speaking, speaking of that, because uh, you've been reasonably clear with your impression of that particular army and weirdly in version three you can't take that army anymore so i gotta ask you are orcs gonna get the chop this time are we gonna see you know are orclings out the window is that's gonna happen well are orcs overpowered ronnie is that what it is yeah we see more the more once mantic have made the models i think we have a commitment to that army in a way that we don't until we have you know, one of the things, why was the Kingdoms of Men in the version one and version two? Well, for two reasons. One, we didn't have any human armies. I had no intention of making a empire medieval or, or French medieval army. You know, and you, you can see the reference points for those. Because um, I thought they'd been done, you know, and it was, not what I'd much rather do abyssal dwarfs that have never been done in plastic. Um, and so... So we had it in there because it was a way of coming across. And there was some great ranges of plastics out there, peri miniatures and things you could bring across and make an army. Or if you had an army, you could play it. Orcs and dwarfs, elves, kind of stepping off point, the kind of classic tropes that are in every fantasy game. And then each IP takes it on in their own way, builds their own story up. So I think once we've done it, now we may well go back and revisit our old plastics. I think we'd love to do that. And then we could, we could do better than what we've got. But I think we only scupper armies. Not scupper, that's not fair. But we don't pay as much attention to those other armies as we do to the ones that we've done ourselves. And now we're getting to these ranges being complete and being very nice and pretty. We're really pleased that we're, you know, where, where we're getting to with them. So, so you know, I don't think we have a, you know, a, a debt to pay to, to Dark Elves or, or Twilight Kin. Because in in effect we've never done them, so we've allowed you to come and play our game with them. But that IP, the story, and 
how we developed them has, has never been done. We're talking, uh, putting aside the fact that obviously you make the minis and you want us to buy the minis, which is absolutely reasonable because that's what keeps the gaming industry alive. We've been having a lot of chats recently about toys in armies and yeah. people buying toys, painting them up, putting them on bases and combining them with miniatures. What's your, as a war gamer and as a part of the industry, what's your opinion about, you know, do you think it's all right? Are you are you good with it? Do you think people should burn in hell for putting toys on bases? Where's where's Where do you stand? Uh, there's, there's two. I mean, there's, there's, there's probably two hands of earth. One of which is what a man does in the privacy of his own attic is entirely his own uh, lookout, libertarian in that sense. And half of our fun in, as hobbyists is just hobbying. And if you want to go out and do a My Little Pony army, clue it together and say, look at this, what I, you know, we've all had daft ideas. Um, sometimes we follow through on them, but not very often. But if someone does do it, kind of, I can see the, the, the fun, but... And if you and your mates want to play that way, it's kind of, yes. But it, it smacks to me that of, of something of a novelty uh, rather than... Now, my more serious hat says, um, if I have goblins with spears, the regiment should be goblins with spears. And... If it's a regiment, there should be 15, 16, 17, 18 figures on that base. Because, you know, I pick up my information visually, myself personally, and if there's 21 figures on a horde, I won't look at the base size. I'll look and say there's 20 figures there, that's a regiment. And I won't think it's a horde. Because it will feel and look like 20 odd figures, and I'll just go, oh, 20 figures, that must be a regiment. <laughs> and then you, oh, no, no, look, I've got to. And if someone says, well, this counts as that, well, the whole joy of our hobby is that if you want to have your goblins with spears, you, you clip the spears through and stick them on. And if you want to have your goblins with bows, you clip the bows off and stick those on. And I think as a courtesy to your opponent, when I'm at my most, you know, puritanical, the closer the, 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 you, you, are, you have an obligation to your opponent, your figures should be what they say they are. And... And pretty much it should be that way. As a, at the senior tournament levels, you know, they don't play poker with jokers in the pack. <laughs> it's a wild card. That's there. It's going to be four aces. No, no, just four aces. And <laughs> if you need four aces to win the hand, you get four aces. So, I, you know, I think there is a kind of a sliding scale, but the, it's a courtesy to your opponent to show and have as many figures on the base size and the base size being the right size that being painted and, and looking pretty, because that's how we do it as well, isn't it? That's a, a big part of what it's about. And for people that love the aesthetics, I will never, I have no problem with doing it, and you want to play it as your group, but I wouldn't play someone with a mantle pony army. I would go, <laughs> yeah, no, I have no interest in putting that fourth army that I've spent ages basing and putting on rocks and making look uber realistic. You know, dead figures in it, arrows sticking out. The realism for me is, is this is the story um but i have similarly someone goes down to a local store with my little pony army and it's this is that that's that and their mate plays against them with their romans as a kings of war army they're playing the game they're enjoying themselves have fun are, are you and, cool with playing let's say uh on, are you cool with playing uh, uh let's say i don't know an abyssal hellboy army for, for example well so i've just seen joe neat building a undead army out of the 
out of Undead, the... yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it looked at, you know, it's very awful. It was, you know, there's the regiments, there's the figures, and he's gone through it, he's thought about it quite carefully, it's quite strongly themed. I think that's a really good example of a, of something right in the mix where you go, look, he's paid the courtesy to his opponent, you can see their arm was shields and so and so maybe the tournament you might actually just say these are this but but by and large that's on the right size basis there's a group, the right number of figures it's got a thematic to it whether you do that with mantic models or the mace models or old yeah fine you know how could you possibly complain the army looks like what it says it does if it's a cavalry unit you can see it's cavalry it's infantry you can see it's infantry it's nicely painted it made an effort i think that ticks all the boxes He's it's made it. I, I would say that army is absolutely gorgeous. Joe is a, a hidden gem in terms of his painting ability. I've, got, I've never met the guy, but wow. Well, yeah, no, but what he, what, he, what he makes, what he has in painting, he lacks in personalities. <laughs> so, Ronnie, when are we going to see you playing at a tournament? It's been, it's been a while. Just, uh, Martin's been rumbling about coming yes, to tournaments. You've got to kind of, I come to a tournament. I bring Alessio, I bring the rules committee with me. They reel out that Ronnie always wins rule. You've seen the Wookiee in Star Wars. Oh, right, right. <laughs> different game. Um, and I, I, I probably couldn't play six games in a in a weekend. I, yeah. I'd find it too difficult. Um, and I, you know, half the time when you sat there, it's not the same game experience because. If I was playing at the US Masters, I'd have been only thinking about War Machine. <laughs> because that was the topic at the time, and I'd be looking against some of War Machines, I'd be looking at the other game, what's going on in their game. Because, you know, this is our our business. I've got to pay attention. I'm not there to, to, to game. I'm there to definitely have some beers and chat. I was there to listen and, and, and see what's going on and, and, and see how the game is developing and what can we do to make it fun. And And... Yeah, you know, I think I've told them it's wonderful. One of the things we have in the summer, the Clash of Kings book comes out in December for the following year's tournament scene. But in the summer, we put out our kind of, here's some craziness, here's some fun, here's some fluff, here's some IP. Here's some new tester rules for these kind of things. Because then that gets folded into the Clash of Kings the following year. So, you know, we, we've, we, I've got to approach these things. So, like I said, at the moment, you're more likely to find me playing a big, huge 10,000-point battle. Um, or whatever game we're working on next, <laughs> um, than, 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 than a full tournament. But I, I love them and I love spending time at them. But uh, playing six games, I think, would destroy you. How about like uh, a doubles event or something like that? You could you could have a ringer, you know, to carry the team. Someone that can actually play. Oh, like that is it? No, no, no <laughs> I've still got some game. I've still got some game. If you could pick someone within Mantic to be your doubles partner, who who would you pick? Oh, um, probably. That, that might be a little bit unfair because now I'm asking you to pick your favourite employee. Very competitive 40k player, and he just basically spends his whole time looking at how he can utterly abuse the system. Um, so I'd probably put him in, let him play both hands. And then I could just sit behind him, drink beer and chat. So, you know, and know that we'd, we'd, we'd rank pretty well. Um, but yeah, I don't know, maybe get Dan King to, uh, to you know, to, to become a part-timer for the day and bring him in, you know. There's, there's many ways around. Was that Josh Roberts you said, sorry? 
Yes, Josh. Yeah. He's, but yeah, he, he played played and won the first two Kings of War tournaments and I had to ban him because uh, after the second year, the, the Baltic staff were first, second and third uh, in the very early days. Only 12 people there. But they just kept dominating. I said, no, stop playing. Stop it, stop it. And then he, he's never he's refused to ever play again, you see. So. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, you know, Rob's good fun to play with. He just cheats. Uh, Martin is like a Wookiee, just throws his figures on the floor. Uh, Dave is lovely. He, he always lets you win. He knows all the rules, knows what everything can do, and somehow still conspires to mess it up. Uh, so no, there's there a great, there's a great crowd, and um, we're all looking forward to this being over and mm-hmm. getting it. Yeah. Go. And speak, speaking of that, Ronnie, I know that we were we were bummed. I know Rob and I and Jeff Swan and a bunch of some Texas guys were all had our Airbnb set for Adepticon and we were excited to go. And I know, um, you know, Salute and all these other events sort of canceling. Um, do you guys have you guys th- started to think about what um, you have in store for next year as far as event wise or maybe later in, in 2020? Or is it still just you're just going to kind of plan it day by day? But I mean, the next one that we are now looking at is what's going to happen with Gen Con. I think, you know, that's a huge show for us, by far the biggest show, a multiple of any other show that we do. Um, because we've got things like Hellboy, which is which is great for the kind of more tabletop generic gamer. Um, you know, whereas I'd say the Depticon is far more of a war game, like Salute. They're all war game shows. Um, uh, you know, an Adepticon or a Salute device, say, well, okay, so you know, you're right, but what army do you play? <laughs> they have an answer. They? What game do you play? It's a miniatures game. You know, if I ask that question at Gen Con, I play cards, I play D&D, you know. But and we have things for each of those people. So that's, that's our next one, because if that one doesn't happen, it does blow a huge hole in our um, kind of uh, show um, budget for the year. You know, this is what takes care of, of Pat, who, who, who runs the shows for us, and just you know, handles all that hard logistics of booking hotel rooms, getting 10 outriders, 10 pathfinders down there, you know, making sure there's terrain on the table, uh, making sure that you know there's prizes and, and, and all that support that goes into Adepticon. Pat just handles a whole load of that logistics. Um, and, and because we are quite a quite niche, you know, we're still at the kind of hardcore end of the of the hobby, um, there isn't that many shows that make sense for us to do. So, um, you know, so we haven't thought about it. I mean, we just, it's just kind of what's happening is now that uh, as each month goes by and our heart gets broken because we're not going to do that show now is, is the reality of the situation. And, and the next the next question that's on our lips, and I think it's looking increasingly unlikely, is will we be at Gen Con? And sorry, if Gen Con's there, we'll be at it. Is Gen Con back? Yeah. And, and uh, it's been difficult. And, you know, we, we, we've all missed. And sometimes you have to lose things to realise how much you appreciate them. But, you know, when we were all not going to Adepticon a couple of weeks ago, I think we all realised... Not what we take for granted, but what we enjoy so much. You know, rolling dice, having beers, having catch-ups and just spending time. And, you know, I mean, obviously, we didn't get who we wanted to win the UK Clash of Kings. So, unfortunately... Hey! I forgot you were on the call. That's 
particular guys. If you if you if you like mean to someone, it means you quite like them. So, um, you know, we didn't get to go and, and have beers with with Steve over at Epticon, and, he, and you know the banter with Tim Smith was just superb. Clash of Kings last year when he turned up in his full American outfit on course. I mean, just great. And that intercontinental chit chat is just superb for the tournament scene. It's and, good. Uh, it's good. You know, Rival. Like you said, rivalries, mm-hmm. rivalries and banter is a good thing. Yeah. And, and Nick Williams and Dan King coming over, you know, it's their rules committee. We don't give them money. We just chuck money into a pot and then they, they get to fly. And so they're getting to do what they would never get to do. And then this crowd, you know, goes drinking whiskey with them down at Lone Wolf. Memories. What's more important than that? You know, having fun, but actually getting to go to to Texas and roll dice and play toy soldiers with guys that otherwise we wouldn't get to do is truly, uh, you know, one of the great things that these planners do. Yeah. I think we're hoping here in the States, maybe, you know, come July or August, you know, by the mid to end of summer events will start happening again. Is there any update on UK clash of Kings? You guys still sort of planning for that, that sort of same time window or. Nothing has changed. What, What we do with all of our events is, until we're told otherwise, we're going. <laughs> and it's happening as it happens. Yeah. And whether there's 50 people there or 150 or two, you know, we, we, we will we'll, we'll work with Rob down at Firestorm. They're a great group of people. I think we buy by the table or whatever else. But that date is, is penned in the diary, is in the diary. And until the government says there will be no mass gatherings of more than, you know, 100 people, um, you know, we'll do it. And if they say it's 50 people or so, the first 50 people that bought tickets, <laughs> that's that's who's going, you know. And 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 we will we will you know improvise, adapt, and overcome. We'll, we'll do the best we possibly can to to make it happen. I think it's going to be, and it may be that some states lock down and some don't at different times. You know, Pat's in Chicago, um, so you know for him it's not too far to get to Gen Con. So even if I can't be there because there's no international travel. If the event's going ahead, Pat's got his stuff. Pat's got to get to go get his van, and he'll go down there, and, and we will be there in in whatever form we can be, as best we're able to be. Um, but we just—it's not in our hands, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same with you guys with all your tournaments. You know, in reality, uh, we, we just have to do what we're told. Absolutely. Let's segue a little bit. Let's talk about the Pathfinder program. You, you mentioned Pat. You know, um, how is it going? And um, where do you see it going in 2021? It's a little bit in hiatus at the moment. Um, it, we've got a good core team that helps out with our shows um, where we need you know, kind of 10 or 11 guys that can get to either Indianapolis or Chicago. Um, we've then got you know, quite a lot of others that, that are you know, rules committees, uh, you know, our volunteer people and things like that. So we have, we have people that help us in a number of ways. I like the tournament scene as much as that we just enable it, but everyone gets on and does it their own way. And they know it's so much better. You know, they kindly invited me to the meeting at the U S masters. And I just made a little pitch about, you know, perhaps rolling around the, the clash of Kings tournament to save Lone Wolf. So suddenly now playing at Lone Wolf, well, as I said, just bring a, a Mantic army because, um, because the winner of that one next year gets it instead of it always being a Dexcon doesn't always have to be. Um, so we, you know, they let me speak, and it was great. But what's obvious for me is, all we can do is some prize support and some help, and make sure the rules are clear, and our books and 
easy army to come out and get updated on time because the logistics of running local events has to be run locally, you know, and the, the, the wealth of knowledge from all those area organizers and GM organizers in that room was, you know, was just beyond the ability of a small company like us to even think about <laughs> helping, you know, um, the, everyone knows that. So, so, and ultimately, the, the home with the pathfinders is the hardest thing to do is to try a mantic game. And the second hardest thing to do is try a second mantic game. And, you know, and, you, know you love Kings of War, but still to think, right, OK, I'm going to try a different game. Took a, you know, a global epidemic for us to, to, to get on and do it because we like a hobby. We like what we're doing. And, and sometimes it takes something. So our pathfinders are there to just stand there in a store all day and say, do you want to give this a try? Do you want to have a little game of this? Because when you do, people go, oh, that's really good fun. And actually, oh, it's a different experience than my Kings of War experience or my 40K experience, you know, um, or my X-Wing experience. And so the idea of Pathfinders is just to be out there, but we're not quite big enough to do it on a mega scale. <laughs> and and until and, and almost until we have the program in place, we're never going to be big enough to be big enough to do it on a big scale. So at the moment, it's in a nice status quo. We've got some great groups of people all around the world um, helping out, helping with events, supporting events, supporting us in stores. Um, and it's nice, but we've got to be careful both to neither you know, take advantage of our enthusiasts nor, nor you know, let it, let it wither and, and therefore no one ever learns how to play. So the long answer it's in a relatively stable, particularly in the US, pretty stable place. Uh, not all it could be, but it's going to take a lot of work and effort to get to the next level. And there's other things that are probably easier for us to do before we do that. So you mentioned earlier, Ronnie, uh, some of the new models you guys are doing. You know, we're seeing the awesome Abyssal Dwarves, which looks great. We're seeing Rob starting to paint some of the new goblins, which are fantastic. When you guys are thinking about, you know, as you're releasing these new models and planning ahead, is there a, tempt, a temptation to go back and maybe redo some of the, the other the earlier stuff that you've done that maybe you didn't quite get up to where you want, sort of a la like what you did with the Basileans? Are you guys kind of just focusing on on the new stuff? Is it like trying to balance a mixture of those two things of new models and maybe redoing old stuff? Or speak a little bit to that. Absolutely. It's exactly what you said at the end. You know, we are both getting what we had better and the 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 poor we felt it was the first time the higher up the ranking to get it redone is, particularly if we think it's a a core army or a core kit. Um, so goblins, the, so the Basileans came out very badly. You know, we we didn't like those, and they're absolutely core to our IP. You know, they are one of our main human armies, uh, the forces of good that sort of sit at the anchor point. Um, the goblins we redid because they they just we were trying out new tooling. Uh, companies at this time and they just didn't quite hit the mark but they weren't as bad as the Basileans but we think the opportunity for goblins is just huge and obviously bloody rot never stop freaking talking about them anyway so just you wore me out um, but at the same time the Northern Alliance which came from nowhere I thought it was a little bit dull when Matt and the guys first pitched it to me I thought it was a bit too Game of Thrones derivative um, but it was Vanguard Vanguard's a great way for us to try out new IPs where you're not committing to a huge whole army, as it happens, I was entirely wrong. Uh, don't tell them that, though. Uh, 
boys, right? Um, they just smashed out the park. That whole kind of hippie commune of elves, dwarfs, and humans all living together and the giants and the schematics. I thought it just came together in a fantastic way, which allowed me to say, yeah, you know what? I was wrong. You were right. Um, so I've had a great idea. Let's do a Northern Alliance army. And they thought, Ronnie, you're brilliant. What a good idea that you had there. And we did a Northern Alliance army. So, yeah, we, we're balancing Night Stalkers, Northern Alliance, new IPs that's making our world kind of a little more interesting, more ours, taking it off in its own direction, while at the same time rolling round um, to pick up some of the ones that we didn't feel we quite hit it the first time. Or gap-filling. We did a lot of work in gap-filling. The Well of Souls is coming out. The Abyssal Dwarfs had a nice army, but no hard plastics. So there's an obvious put that in place. Um, um, you know, perhaps there's some other armies that are very nice, quite popular, but could do with some hard plastic ogres. There's those types of things. And then, you know, potentially getting into things that you know just won't die. So eventually you have to give in rats. So, you know, a little bit of everything, lots of backfilling, lots of, of, of new, exciting things, taking things from Vanguard and pushing them into Kings of War units. Well, I know I'm a, I'm a few thousand miles away, but I just felt the the uh, Rob's head exploding exploding from mention of possible hard plastic ogres. What did I say that? No. <laughs> Must have um, coughed. Okay. What you've seen, and if you've been paying attention over the last few weeks, we've we've shown the picture pretty much what's the hard plastics for this year. Um, what we're now talking about is the hard plastics for. For future years, so they're they're myself and Matt are what's coming out. How can we theme it? What's coming alongside it? How do we make sure that you know it's, it's it feels fresh? And um, but we're building the we're building the twenty we were building the twenty twenty one release schedule. Um, <laughs> how much of twenty twenty rolls into twenty twenty one will define how much of it comes out. But at the moment, the King's War scene is very exciting. It's very vibrant. People are picking up the armies. You know, I think there's a lot with second edition where simply switching over was the first step. And I don't think there's a lot of people that didn't go out and buy one of our armies. You know, there's lots of undead armies and things. But it's still another thing to go from buying it to building it, painting it, playing it, then doing your second, you know, or tweaking it and adding to it. But I think we're very much in that, you know, we are established in that rank and flank space. We're still recruiting, uh, which is just essential. You know, and all these events that are the tournament scene is a great way of just bringing more people into it. They see they can get games, and therefore, you know, the, the toy soldier sales follow on on the back. You know, one thing I really like about the goblins, you know, you know, as you guys uh, over the last couple of years, you know, are you know putting out more and more um, higher quality miniatures, and then developing your IPs, like you mentioned, it, and we've talked about it a little bit on our. We recently did uh, kind of a snapshot uh, episode on highlighting the different armies in Kings of War and like uh, different aspects of why you might want to play them. And definitely the Baselane came up as as sort of the, the flag bearer uh, IP, Mantic good IP army. And, and what uh, the goblins that stick out to me is that, like you mentioned, goblins are like a classic fantasy trope, right? They're in every fantasy war game. But now I feel, um, as with Vanguard in this release, when you think about what are goblins like in Panathor or what are mantic goblins, something now pops into my head. You know, there's like a, a, a creative vision behind that army. Was that something you guys talked about in developing it? Hugely. And that's where, that's 
kind of the bit I enjoy most, contributing into that. That's what I'm like. I don't care about how they play much, you know. But while I was like, come on, what makes it romantic? What makes it fun? What makes it engaging? And, you know, that's what I said. Look, these more pots. Fire them like mortars. Because, you know, I come from a historical background, so mortars, you know, World War II mortars. They will take that weapon, and what can we do that's completely stupid? What would goblins do? They would fire little flying dogs out of them. Yes, hilarious. <laughs> right, well, we can't, you know, we, they're not big enough to dry, ride, so uh, let's let's fire them at them. Yay, great idea. And then, of course, it goes wrong. I would have rules where they eat the fucking crew all the time. And, sorry. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's where you start getting, there's just that kind of, they're serious, they're nasty, they're vicious, they're, they're, they're crafty and dumb. And they're being so crafty, they they fool themselves and catch themselves backwards. That kind of stuff. So, and that's where we're now getting to. We've got enough time with each army to to double down on the on the development. Vanguard allows us the palace guard, you know, for the you know ogres and mercenaries. But they're also happy to fight. But you can imagine that some of them would be quite well. They must be quite obedient, um, because you know they're, they're in the mercenary army. They turn up, fight for money. So why wouldn't why wouldn't the more obedient and the more um, uh, well-behaved of them get recruited into the Basilean force and give them full plate mail armor? Uh, yeah, well, you know, absolutely. I'm not going to rely on mercenaries with Basilea. So let's just recruit them, breed them, and, and have them as our palace guard. Because I don't know how, you know, someone gets uppity. You don't get picked up by a tough guy. You get picked up by an ogre and thrown out on your ear. And every bit of it just starts telling stories. And, and that's the bit that I... I get most excited about. And one of the reasons why, you know, we keep doing elves, the Marmite elves, is because there's so much IP in those. You know, when people go into them, the details on the armor and the shield pops out. And, you know, there's quite a lot of Mantica in it, um, Mantic lore in there. And, and it's a complete range. You know, they're all there. And so, yes, there's a yen that people want to see some, some different ones, but there's also quite a lot in there that there wasn't in the goblins. Our goblins were just some goblin archers. Five figures on a sprue. They weren't so inspiring. They didn't mesh with with the whole IP. These ones now are incredibly good goblins. If you need some goblins for your D and D game or for any other game, I think you know, like our zombies, they're going to sell to to lots of lots of people for lots of different reasons. But at the same time, we're launching the whole goblin army that's come out of what came out of Vanguard and Third Edition, and and it's got a real feel about it that's that's engaging and exciting and believable yeah so you mentioned the elves ronnie i know uh uh i feel like each year we need to ask you this question so for i'm going to ask you the 2020 uh iteration of this question uh are we getting dracon riders at some point (laughs) (laughs) Uh, did you see league of infamy yeah uh uh-huh yes okay Okay, keep watching okay when we sculpt something in plastic or for resin it, you know, it, 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 it's something that we can then pop out into the other releases. So the palace guard that came with the Basilean army was very much setting the scene for the palace guard regiment that's now in the Basilean Kings of War army. And because we've sculpted one, we can do head swaps, arm swaps, change the body around a bit, 3D print it again, pop it into resin, and now you've got an elite regiment. And so, you know, it may well be the case, although I can neither confirm nor deny but were there to have been dragons in the League of Infamy, we may now have a dragon sculpt. And uh, and uh, if we had a dragon sculpt, it would probably be beyond the boundaries of possibility to 
So then put a rider on it and... Ooh, okay. So let's see. Pish posh, all this stuff about elves. Let's talk about ogres. Yeah. Specifically, let's talk about ogres coming to Vanguard. You've been showing off lots of pictures. Yeah. So we're talking, I guess I'm assuming we'll get a starter and a booster and a bunch of add-on characters. Yeah, I think we wanted to get them out because there was a few units in the army that wasn't done. And it would have held them up if we waited for hard plastic. So what we've done is we've gone in and got a whole load of sculpts and got they were, they were very nice sculpts. We had a chap called Remy, who who was just a very very talented sculptor back in the day. Not back in the day, he was a sculptor. We had him working for back in the day. Did he do some of the original like um, Basilean, like the the foot knight guys with the two handed swords? He may have done. We also had a silver French guy. Yeah, I think so. From the dungeons, song. he did some of the Dreadpool teams, the first original Dreadpool teams. Uh, he's a very talented guy. Uh, but we, you know, with all, with all, we found ourselves increasingly going into three D sculpting, and uh, sculpting the traditional way. So we've got. Um, so what we've done is we've used the Vanguard opportunity to sculpt all the bits to make a really cool, exciting Vanguard faction. But alongside that, it's also allowed us to unlock a few units to complete out the Kings of War army, um, and because a lot of people had already got. You know, good slugs of that army. Actually, you just want the shield breakers to come along and fit in there, and a few of the other characters. So, we're um, it's not a full, it's not a full hard plastic launch for the ogres, but the sculpts are fantastic. It's just got a whole other character to it, and then we'll we'll get round to um, to beefing it up again. And the characters are resin, is that right? Yeah, I think that's what I heard. Perfect, perfect. But when are we going to get a mammoth? We've been asking for that for a long time. <laughs> Who, who 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 do we, I mean? Obviously, do we gotta do we gotta get robbed to 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 bang on you until we get a mammoth? Well, you just have to get robbed to put it in the goblin army, and you get one instantly. So that's how it works. Put the yoga in and put mammoth. We're, we're, we're rolling through our titans. We're kind of excited about that next scale. Yeah, I think the Hellfane is an absolutely monstrous kit. I think it's it's probably you know, it's too cheap. Really, you know, there's too many parts. It's actually too big. You know, the steel behemoth. And the Phoenix are lovely big kits, but they're also only five or six parts. I think the the health phase is about thirty two parts. It's just yeah, it's it's a lot of pieces. But pieces. to be and fair, the- I think you have to do it that way, considering how big it was, because you're not going to want to make one big solid piece of resin. You've got to, you've got to compromise your uh, the the beauty and size of it with the complexity of it versus the price, because really it should have been a hundred bucks kit. But I didn't quite have the heart to do that. But that bigger scale kit is where we want to kind of be at. You saw the Giant, which has been hugely successful, and people are enjoying that. The Steel Behemoth was great. The Hellfane's in that, I'd say, probably at the upper extremes of it. Um, and so that mammoth was intimidating for us just a few years ago because we probably couldn't have done it in plastic. Uh, we couldn't have afforded to do it in plastic um, and definitely didn't work in metal. So now we've got resin, and we're confident with resin, and we're confident with it. Those big, fun, interesting, but relatively low-volume kits are now available to us. And and so keep watching, but we're not going to stop making cool, big, beautiful kits. You know, the Phoenix has been amazing. Uh, uh, do you see, it seems like kind of you guys are going through uh, uh, maybe shying away from, from metal now and focusing more either on the, the hard plastics or the resin or, you know, the, the, the rustic for Vanguard. Do you kind of see yourself moving that way? Do you think you'll still do metal stuff or is that, do you think resin's sort of going to take the place of that eventually? I mean, because I'm old school and I've got, you know, seven or eight 
20 kilos of metal down in my basement. I have some kind of old school affection for it, but it is becoming increasingly anachronistic because the 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 the, the quality of the resin is just breathtaking. You know, and we've got a really good team working on it. Um, so I think just 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 from a practical point of view, why do we need? We've got quite a lot of space given over to the metal casting area, two casting machines, whole loads of molds, and then the the resin area is, you know, where if that could be double if we if we kept moving over that way. Definitely the line of travel is um, hard plastics for core units, resin for most of everything else. There's very few things, but there's a few things that work in metal, and we'll keep doing those, and we'll slowly work through our molds as well. But rarely do we ever have a release meeting where the first chat is okay look here's a new product and we think it should be in metal it just doesn't doesn't get said you know more likely it's here's something released a few years ago in metal can we do it in resin please the molds have died we don't want to remake it so it seems and then the pvc stuff does a really good job i think restic was a kind of early iteration of this and then we moved on for it and kind of stopped calling it restic because i don't think restic had the hobby qualities that you want but the walking dead range as i'm sure you can you know you can testify that i haven't taken out it's a wonderful product for the what it wants what it needs to do you know we've learned how to sculpt in it the details there but you open the box and you're playing in five minutes and, uh, you know if you're not painted you're going to be painting half an hour there's a few of those sneak into a few of our kings of war or like at the vanguard where you, you know now smattering of molds but predominantly for Kings of War is hard plastic and resin uh, with with metal tailing off with a little bit of those plastic sets around um, in our more board game stuff, our more mass appeal stuff, Hellboy, Walking Dead. We use that PVC, but we don't consider them board game pieces. We consider them board games miniatures. Um, and then the quality that we aim for and strive for is is a long way away from for most games that uh, have plastic PVC pieces. Goblins getting lots of love. Ogres getting love. You got halfling models coming out with League of Infamy. Yeah. I thought you liked dwarves. <laughs> Where's the dwarf love? Well, yeah, but I've just finished Bloody Dwarf Army. I'm not going to release you. It took me 10 years to paint that one, hasn't it? So the last thing I'm going to start doing is doing some new dwarves. And then, you know, I had to, I had to incorporate out those Vanguard ones that came in. So they've, got themselves onto a regiment, made me do another regiment of dwarves. So, you know, uh, and, uh, the dwarf range kind of holds up. There's a few things we could tweak in it. I, I'd love us to just do a resin sprue with 10 heads and some different weapon options and things, uh, just for variety. Because I think, you know, if you get the abyssal dwarf sprue, you get 10 figures and 12 or 15 heads on the sprue. So there's just loads of the... And when you're making up regiments, just I, I love those slightly different heads and... The things that make them feel unique. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, yeah, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. This, yeah, comfortably fifteen heads or so. And then actually, bizarrely, there is a little tiny pack of metal with a two-handed weapon option. So, um, with some metal heads as well. But yeah, so um, we've got a bit of dwarfs. You know, I'm feeding my bad side this year. How about Rackin? You actually released release some Rackin sculpts for Vanguard. We're going to see more of these? They, they look great. I think they might. I think you just might. In fact, if, there was, if I was a betting man and I was going to bet on what the third plastic sprue would be this year after Abyssal Dwarfs and Goblins, 
I would give you very short odds on them being rats. I don't know how to follow that up, Jeremy. Too much gold. There it is. That might yeah. Be well, you know, this This is what happens when we can get Ronnie on here without uh, Rob or anyone else. We can get we can get down to brass tacks. Um, <laughs> if you would have been you know. over there, we've had one on with me, I can tell you. Been like, Thank you, Mr. Ed. Thank you. Get him out of the room. Thank uh. you so much. <laughs> Watch the monkey. Look into this. And when you see a light, you'll forget everything you've heard before. This. Well, what about historical armies? That's something that we do get occasionally asked. Uh, about the historical supplement, any any uh, thought process or in the schedule to maybe make maybe next year, just go through and give it a, a quick polish. Yeah, we all, I mean, we very much when you do the new edition, you have to just do it, and that's that. And then you roll through those, you know, widowed products and say, well, do we do it again? I have actually asked around with um, with historical because you know, did people enjoy it? Did it do what it needed to do? And actually, the answer was yes. People did enjoy it, and they did value it. And, uh, you know, what we need is a couple of people to take 500 copies, you know, a couple of distributors to take a real number because it's not a core thing. Uh, but obviously, we don't sell minis for it. So it's not even like, you know, you can do a loss leader on it where you say, well, look, you know, I'll give you the book, but you're going to come back for the armies. Um, and what we're, so we're, we're probably – what we're going to do is possibly – and this is genuinely not yet decided. It's just part of our planning, but maybe a kind of Kingdoms of Men book where we work with some of the suppliers and add some fantasy elements to it. Where it's still predominantly that kind of human army, but it's a little bit more kind of thought out, you know, like with the Goblin, a few of those other things. And at the same time, here's how you play it straight historical or vice versa or something. We haven't nailed it. But there's definitely probably not next year, not 2021. I think we could be summer book and you know, uh, there's stuff to do there that we you know, siege and things. But at some point, I think it could be good fun because I could pad out an area of the map, make us look at that. I could definitely see something like um, a Brotherhood Vanguard faction, which I think would be really cool now that they've kind of been destroyed and beaten up and they've got their own character. Matt, in destroying them, took them away from just being. Bretonians into they're now either you know being paid for and armed and funded by the Basileans who are using them as a buffer against the abyss. So we'll damage this lot will support you, food and armor. So they're becoming kind of you know low, low mercenaries working there. There's the Green Ladies forces where they you know they've broken off into the those knights have gone off. And then there's others kind of um brotherhood for hire who were lords and kings and were knights and warriors, and they think, well, okay, around these crazy times, people are happy. There's a goblin raiding party who will come up, hire us, and we'll go kill them for you. And so there's a, suddenly a carriage and a story there, and as soon as I can see that, I said, right, let's get sculpting it. And I thought the idea of these guys being kind of slightly down on their luck knights that are kind of having to strap their armour together and keep it working and you know on their own little blacksmith's forge as they go around, what a great vanguard faction that would be. How characterful it would be. You know, you can see the, the book writing itself from those guys as well. So so those are the kind of, you know, those are the, those are the opportunities that we can dip into. And I think combining those alongside our, our historical book would give something for everybody. You know, you guys, the Kings of War community would be like, this is great. It's a bit more characterful. Actually, I've got a Perry miniatures War of the Roses army, but I can now add this fantasy thing to it and that fantasy thing to it. And the historical guys out there who like the King's Awards can dive in and um, 
you know, just three games of historical <laughs> Romans versus Celts in the same in one day, play it, love it, blitz it in a way that you can't when you're playing a kind of fully developed historical war game because it's just a bit more in depth than that. It's it's funny you say that though because locally we have a lot of folks that are playing Kings of War and their entry point was you know a, a men army right it's samurai it's whatever uh, and after about six months of playing that they're like oh but I want dragons <laughs> or I want you know and so it's funny um, you know a lot of these guys are making transitions from a traditional like a warlord army or a samurai army from whoever and now they're moving it to a kingdoms of men army and they're adding all this fun stuff. So I think definitely that's fertile ground. Yeah. Great. No, and it's, it's useful feedback and it's, it's definitely on our, our being discussed table. Um, and, and so yeah, feedback and what we should avoid and not avoid or how do we tweak it um, is very much a valuable insight at the moment. We do these episodes called List Builder. You probably don't listen to them because you're too busy. But we have these fantastic 10 questions that we ask everybody at the end of the episode. Yeah. And they're meant to be rapid fire. Just give us whatever answer pops in. Are you ready to take the challenge? Let's do it. What's your favorite non-dwarf army? Trident Realms. What's your least favorite Mantic game? Mars Attacks. What drives you creatively or competitively? Creatively. When your opponent rolls Snake Eyes? Oh, there we go. When you roll Snake Eyes? Get in there. <laughs> What is your favorite hobby material? Uh, super glue. What is your biggest gaming pet peeve? Biggest gaming pet peeve. Um, people that pull you up on the minutiae of the rules and then cheat in their turn. If you had to replace miniature wargaming with another hobby, what would it be? Ooh, uh, yeah, you got me there. Jesus, that's that's 45 years of, uh, of one thing. Um... What other miniature war game would you not want to play? Oh, that's mean. You can't ask me that. I've played most of them, you know, and I've never chosen to play them again, so you can you can pick the bones out for that. And the final question, if you had a romantic evening with Crazy Bobby, yeah. what would you whisper sweetly to him? I love your mustache. Ronnie, thanks for coming on and chatting with us, and uh, it's been good to catch up with, with all this isolation madness that is seeing the world uh, seemingly come to a halt, but yet we're really moving forward in many other ways, hobby, gaming, family, friends. Yeah, exactly. Family and friends and staying safe. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's great. Great to chat with you guys. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on for sure. That's going to do it for us tonight. And until next time, keep counter charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on counter charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Everybody, welcome to. <laughs> Hello, everybody. You've got to get some good buffing stuff in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to. <laughs> welcome to the Fire. I'm Ronnie Renton. Very excited.